Hey, everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, April 14th, 2013. I've got to give credit to Summer. She was lying there in Kyle's bed, completely naked, cool and calm and confident, like she could have done it a million times before. I really don't think that I would ever dare, I mean, even now, I would never dare to just put myself out there like that and go and get naked in a guy's bed who I don't really even know if he likes me or not. Is that really even how you would want to hook a guy? Is that how you would want to get his interest? She has got teen hormones raging and... Kyle is really not having it. I think deep down he wants it, but he, I mean, he's a guy. She's a good-looking girl. She's very interested in him. She's smart. She's funny. She's, I mean, their parents are dating. It almost kind of makes sense, but he's keeping himself at a distance. He almost looked at her like she was his little sister naked. He was like, no, no. But I think he's just trying to block that part of his brain off when it comes to summer. So he tells her to get dressed. I felt bad for her because that had to be completely humiliating. And they start to have a conversation, a very open conversation about why they can't be together, or that's Kyle's perspective anyway. She's arguing in reverse. And she was telling him, I think this is very telling, one of her comments was, why? We're not related. (laughs) Hmm. I think that's, I think that's a little bit of foreshadowing there. But clearly, These two people are from very different generations. For one thing, Kyle was making a a Brady Bunch reference, which Summer did not get at all. That's not her generation. So they have things in common, but it's not cultural. And so I think that uh, makes it a little more difficult for them to connect, or also it probably makes them uh, want it a little bit more. Um, Kyle had to, has a last ditch effort, tell Summer, look, I'm not into you because I'm into someone else. I have my eye on someone else. And it crushed her <laughs> hearing that. She thought, well, who, who would it be? And how could she be better than me? And the only thing, I, I think that was a lie. I think he was just saying it to cool her jets a little bit. I mean, we know that he was into Phyllis, but I don't think that's what he was talking about. I think he's into her a little bit, but he doesn't want her to know that. He just wants it to kind of go away. He could probably pick up and move on without Summer and not really think about it twice, but she is hardcore into him. She doesn't want to take this lightly. She wants to pursue it, and if Kyle is interested in some other woman, then she's going to try to be better than this other woman. So she is with a friend of hers trying to give herself a makeover so that she looks more adult, putting on more adult clothes and darker makeup. Poor girl. I feel very empathetic toward her in this situation because, I mean, you kind of identify with it. I think a lot of girls have been that age and have really wanted to catch someone's attention and have made the mistake of thinking that the best way to go about it is through sex. And Abby is identifying with it as well. She's noticing probably a pattern from her own life and she's trying to discourage Summer from putting herself out like this and she's giving Kyle a hard time about it too. Abby is almost way too up in this situation. It's a little bit intrusive, but I think her heart is in the right place. It's a little bit ironic though, uh, hearing Abby scold anybody about getting naked. I mean, she didn't know about the whole summer getting naked in Kyle's bed thing right off the bat, but she put two and two together as the week went on. She was scolding left and right. I mean, this is the naked heiress. It's a little bit hypocritical of her. But she really sees, recognizes that this is not 
a good idea that Summer has a dangerous crust. So she goes to Nick and hips him to what's going on, saying even that Summer is at a stalker level. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if she's stalkerish, but she's teenage girl-ish. And that's all Nick needs to hear. I think at first he wanted to pretend that it wasn't happening. And Abby said, no, Nick, you need to open your eyes. Summer is going pretty far, and I'm not going to give you all of the details, but you need to try to put your foot down on this. So Nick tries to talk Summer out of it. She's not hearing it. She doesn't hear anything either of her parents have to say. She just thinks, I've just got to get away from my parents. I want to move out, and then everything will be fine. I can do whatever I want. But Nick takes it a step further, and he calls Kyle to come out to the ranch, and Nick gives him... A, a, a lecture. <laughs> Just, I don't really care who you see. I think he even said you can go home with the entire Dallas Cowboy cheerleading squad if you want to, but stay away from my daughter. I think that Nick is hilarious <laughs> as this overprotective dad. I actually like seeing this side of him. I enjoyed it last week when he was punishing Summer for what she did with Jamie, and I enjoyed it this week when he's trying to just um, avert this disaster. Um, it was really funny, too, because he even told Kyle, look, I, I actually like you, so can you imagine how I would treat you if I didn't like you? <laughs> Oh, it's probably all only working to bring them together. So do you guys think, this is the big question, that Nick is just being an overprotective parent? Or is it more? Because we know if you've watched the show, I guess probably, what, at the time of Summer's birth, which was maybe 10 years ago, I want to say, uh, there was a question of Summer's paternity, and it was a question of whether or not it was going, she was going to be Jack's child or Nick's child, and there was a paternity test, which only Nick saw the results of. So Nick is the only one who really knows the truth about Summer's paternity. And I'm wondering, is is all of this run around with Kyle and Summer, Nick being an overprotective parent, or, I mean, because Nick has lost a daughter that, you know, started with a chain of events uh, of her, of of her being interested in an older guy. It was Cassie wanting to put on makeup and go after Daniel and go to parties and put herself into situations that she wasn't ready for. It led to, unfortunately, her death. So is that where Nick's mind is? And or does Nick know something that we don't know? Like that maybe Jack is really Summer's father and Summer and Kyle are really brother and sister? Nick finally has the opportunity to propose to Avery. He feels totally in love with her. He says that he wants to spend the rest of his life with her. Yeah, uh, kind of like how you wanted to spend the rest of your life with Sharon and then Phyllis, <laughs> like six months ago with Phyllis. <sighs> Nick needs to be in a relationship. That's the bottom line. And he even said something odd, like, I believe that those marriages to Sharon and Phyllis led me here right to this point to be with you for the rest of my life. Something about that sat really weird with me. That, that just that felt weird. I, you can't have epic love stories one right after another? I I don't know. I, Avery is way more grounded about this entire relationship, and I'm way more on track with her. I agree with Avery's instinct to Nick's proposal. Why rush a good thing? What's the benefit of that? Why do it now? Why is it so important to get married now, maybe a couple of weeks after Nick's divorce from Phyllis has been finalized? And Avery was very honest and upfront with Nick. She said, 
I mean, she questioned, like, would you have proposed to me if not for the incident that happened at the ranch, kind of that near-death experience? Is that, would you even be asking me if it weren't for that? And Nick dodged that question, kind of saying, I don't know. But my question is, would he have proposed to Avery if not for Dylan showing up in town? I think that's way more his motivation. I think he wants to seal in that deal with Avery because he senses that there is a connection between she and Dylan. And if Nick were to step back, if Nick were to step away, even for a a little bit, I think Avery and Dylan would end up back together. And that's why he is so hot to trot this girl down the aisle. That's my opinion. Anyway, and Avery, I I appreciated uh, her position because I think she's being pushed. And she said to him, I mean, she kind of let him down. (laughs) She said no, but in the absolute nicest way possible. She said, please just be patient with me while I sort out my feelings. Because A, the relationship is moving so fast. B, she's been married before and it hasn't worked out. And it's not something to take lightly. It's not something that you just jump into just because. I'm disappointed in, in Nick for 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 jumping this gun. I, I mean, he was disappointed uh, when Avery told him no, but he agrees to give her her space, and, um, you know, he's crushed, but I think he believes that she'll come around eventually. He had to go back home with his tail between his legs, and Sharon showed up at his house when he wasn't there, and she was looking around the house uh, for a permission slip for some school event, I guess, for faiths and she happened upon the ring box side note Sharon looked beautiful that day in that sky blue dress with just that simple gold chain I think it had a heart charm on the end of it she looked so good she looked so good in sky blue and I I'm loving Sharon right now I really am I'm so glad that the, the drama in her life has calmed down and it's brought her back to a place where I can love and appreciate her again but it was a little bit snoopy of her to find the ring I mean she it was hidden in a trinket box on the uh I don't know I don't know some kind of desk that Nick has in the living room and I thought well I mean, why would he put the permission slip there? It was kind of a hidden location, but she found it. And it's not like, you know, Nick hasn't gotten all up in her business a million different times. So when Nick got home, she questioned him about it, said, well, if you asked Avery to marry you, then why is the ring here? And he had to admit that she said no. It was very awkward between them. And then Sharon goes to the club to find Dylan to tell him what was going on that Nick was proposing. And, like, what did you guys think about that? What was Sharon's motivation? I couldn't understand why she would go tell Dylan that. Does Sharon not want Avery and Nick together? Was she trying to give Dylan a heads up so that he could go and stake his claim? I don't know. Maybe I have missed that. But I I thought, well, shoot, that just seems... Uh, A little suspicious on Sharon's part. Uh, Of course, Dylan already knew about the engagement, the proposal. He had already talked to Avery about it personally. And oddly, Dylan kind of gave Avery an unexpected push. She was going back and forth as to whether or not she wanted to get married to Nick. And Dylan said, look, there are a million reasons for you not to do it, and there's only one reason for you to do it. If you love him and you want to spend your life with him, then do it. And she rushes out of the bar over to Nick's house to tell him yes. And it was it was a very emotional scene. It was very heightened. Nick is thrilled and she's, I think, overwhelmed that she's come to this decision and that she feels this way. And Nick flings open the door and shouts it out to everyone. She said, yes. And then you hear a a slight horse in the background. (laughs) Shouts it out for all of the ranch horses to hear. She said, yes. He's very excited. It was a very uh, explosive moment. But... uh, Nick is still 
He's still dealing with kids from two previous marriages. Um, Abby, after she went to tell Nick about Summer and the Kyle crush and kind of warning him about that, Nick had a moment with Avery where he shared his concern about Summer and how it was related to what happened to Cassie. And I tell you, it was really a good scene. I welled up as Nick was telling Avery, there's nothing worse than watching your child suffer. Because I can't imagine that there is anything worse. And um, and I just, in that moment, I really understood where he was coming from. It's like sometimes I just forget that Cassie's death is really, really at a core of Nick and Sharon's characters and that a lot of who they are, a lot of what they do is affected by that series of events. And just that reminder of everything that Nick has been through kind of brought me back around. I understand that he has probably a seize-the-day mentality because of that as far as his relationship with her. But he revealed to Avery that he's not opposed to having more kids. So (laughs) he, I just feel like Nick is really pushing it on her here. She's not really interested in getting married again. Probably kids are the farthest thing from her mind. And he's got a couple marriages under his belt, couple kids under his belt. And here he's saying, let's have a bunch. And I don't think she's ready for that. And it, it obviously, struck a chord with her because after she and Nick were done, she went back to the underground to see Dylan. And there was an urgency about her. She was like, can we talk? And they sit down in the booth. And at first it seemed like she just, you know, wanted to chat with them. I mean, he realized that he saw the ring on her finger, realized that she had said yes to the proposal. But then it took a really serious turn when Avery reveals that she and Dylan had a child together. Knowing that Avery and Dylan had a child together and that there had to have been a certain amount of trauma there for both of them makes Dylan's interactions with Chelsea more concerning to me because Chelsea runs into Dylan again this week at the coffee house, and she thinks he's left town, he's gone, and he wasn't expecting to run into her again. So they have this awkward moment between each other because they slept together in kind of a crash-bam-wham sort of way, and then left it, and now here they are face-to-face again. And Dylan, I believe that Dylan is not the kind of guy who just sleeps with women and runs away. And he told her that he had just lost his father, and that was kind of where he was coming from. But it was a little bit annoying to me that Chelsea was like, oh, yeah, I never do that sort of thing either. Uh, You never have sex with men that you don't know, because I seem to remember a time when you were just looking for marks in Myanmar. Uh, Like, do you not remember that time that you just got Billy all drunk and drugged up and had sex with him and got pregnant? Uh, I'd say that qualifies (laughs) as having random sex with strangers. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) But Dylan and Chelsea are sitting there at the table and they're kind of getting to know each other. They're becoming friends. And it makes me feel so bad for what is possibly going to befall him because Chloe is trying very hard to convince Chelsea to go ahead with the plan to trick Dylan into thinking that he's the father of her baby. And Chelsea appears to be dead set against it. Oh no, I would never do that. But I am not so sure. I have a feeling that there's going to be some sort of argument between Chelsea and Adam that will change her mind and she's going to decide to go through with it because the timer is counting down on this bun in the oven. Like she's going to start to show sooner or later. So she's going to have to make a decision sooner to either tell Adam the truth that he's the father or go ahead with the plan to dupe Dylan.
even though Adam and Victor have made up and called a truce, the slate is not wiped clean. It's not possible. There's too much that has happened between them for them to just start all over completely fresh. So there's still a competitiveness and some animosity between them that's not just going to go away. But it was wonderful to see them connecting. Victor is grateful for, you know, being alive. And he said to Adam, I am in your debt. And that does seem to change things, possibly temporarily, but it does seem to change things for now. Um, Adam seems to want more. He, he really, it's, it's odd. Like, he, he was kind of baiting Victor into telling him that, like, he's the best Newman child. Like, Adam wants to hear that he's better than Victor's other kids because you know, none of your other kids were able to get Newman Enterprises back for you, Dad. I'm the one that did that. Like, he wants that praise. Adam wants to be Victor Jr., which is his given name. I mean, he's he is Victor Jr. He changed his name, but that's who he is. And no matter how he's tried to fight it or deny it, he is that. And there was just a very human moment between them where Victor gives a little. I mean, you know, it had he had to be gritting his teeth while he said this, but Victor says, you know, you deserve to be a part of Newman Enterprises just as much as Nicholas and Victoria. And it was so like Adam wanted to hear that so much. I just feel like Victor was throwing him a little bit of a bone. I I just don't think you can overnight go from manipulating to not manipulating, but they um, agree to work together. Adam says, I want you to come on to Newman and work with me side by side. I can't even believe that Victor agreed to that. Can you, Victor, sharing the reins with anyone? I don't know how well that is going to go over, but they're going to give it a try. Uh, Victor actually left Adam's hospital room. And by the way, Adam's doing very good. He's recovering. He's standing up. He's 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 getting back to normal. But Victor leaves the hospital room and goes out into the waiting room and talks to Nikki and tells her what just happened, that he's planning to go back to Newman and work with Adam. And Nikki was just about as skeptical as I am about the whole thing. And I thought, and then Victor kind of had to run away. And Nikki decided to go into Adam's room and have a one-on-one conversation with him. And I thought that Nikki was going to rip Adam a new one. Just the look on her face and hearing this information that they're going to work together. You know, she looked like she was going to give him a piece of her mind, but she thanks him instead. And it was a little bit of a twisting, a twist moment. So it was nice. But she did offer him a warning. She said, Adam, don't you dare just lure Victor in just so you can break his heart. Because if you do that, you are going to have to deal with me. (laughs) So I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for seeing some nicer, gentler moments between Victor and Adam for a little while (laughs) until someone drops the gauntlet and they're going back at each other again. But for now, it's, it's really all good. And there was a bit of, I think, excellent news this week. Victor starts to talk to Adam about his recovery process and how he's really going to have a difficult time getting around uh, at that huge house. He's out there in that huge mansion all by himself. It's not very accessible. He doesn't have anyone there um, to assist him. So Victor makes a suggestion that Adam move in to the penthouse. (laughs) I'm so thrilled about that. I hated his old house, the Genevieve's old, it's almost like a smoky old mansion. It wasn't Adam's style at all. I never felt like it fit his personality. And the con, the penthouse is so much more Adam's style. Hopefully they'll change the decorations a little bit. Uh, but he, yes, the penthouse. Thumbs up for Adam. That is excellent. And, oh my gosh, 
the greatest scene of the week was where they were negotiating over the price of it because Victor's not just going to give him the penthouse. They're negotiating back and forth. Victor wants like th $3 million for the property and Adam, it was just so cute watching them negotiate back and forth. Like, uh, you know, uh, I'll give you a 2.5. Oh, that's not worth that. You know, how about 1.7? Or, you know, they went back and forth until they finally settled on a cool $1.5 million in cash. <laughs> For the penthouse with the greatest view of Genoa City that you could imagine. <laughs> wonderful. Just wonderful. Mm. Looking forward to seeing Adam there. Now, Victoria comes in and sees Adam and Victor together, and Victor reveals to her that they're going to be working together. And Victoria is not happy about it. She's not happy about it any more than she was the day Adam came into town. And she's got baby making in the works, though. So she's only allowed to dedicate a certain portion of her brain to being angry about that situation because she's really trying to focus on her own life, her own family. But Adam actually asked Victoria if she wanted to join them and work for the company. And I thought that was really cool of him because he has complete control over Newman. He doesn't owe any of them anything. I mean, here he gave, practically almost gave his life to save Victor's, and now he's giving up little portions of his control. Like, Adam is really giving here, and I thought it was, you know, cool of him to try to invite the sister who doesn't, he doesn't really even get along with, never really has gotten along with, into the company I think mainly because he wants a family. He has no family. He realized in you know his darkest moments that he was completely alone. No wife, no children, no no, no father, mother, extended family. Like his mother is is gone, and and that left him very alone in a lot of senses. And when he came to Genoa City, I think he was hoping to have a, a part of the family, and that never panned out. Now, Victoria turned him down flat. She, she's not interested in, in going back to Newman Enterprises, but she does have information that Adam doesn't know about the family that's on the way. She knows that Chelsea's pregnant and that Adam is a father. And I'm wondering if Victoria will start feeling guilty and maybe reveal the truth you know, to Adam, tell him everything that she knows, or I wonder if she will somehow use that information as a way to squeeze Adam out of Newman Enterprises. Congressman Wheeler has been arrested for Belinda's murder, and I feel like I still don't entirely get it. Like, what's his motive? Couldn't his DNA have been on her because they were having an affair? Like, I don't know. I feel like there might... I just... Is there more to the stories? Another twist in the works here? I'm not sure. The, the family tried questioning him about it, get more information about the whole thing. Leslie and Tyler and Neil and Gus all went to the jail. And Paul <laughs> brings in Wheeler and handcuffs the guy to a chair in a private room, then leaves the room, closes the door, leaving the family of the victim alone with the suspect. Highly irregular. Paul has been chief of police for only a little bit, and he's already bent the rules quite a bit. I mean, that could have blown their entire case, because Wheeler was not answering any questions, and he was flippant, and he even insinuated that Belinda could have been sleeping with other men. Like, I don't know who could have killed her. She could have been sleeping with any number of men. And Tyler nearly attacked him. Like, if not for everyone else in the room holding him back, I think Tyler would have beat him to death. <sighs> I don't know. I just don't know. Like, feels like there's more going on here. Like, there's going to be another twist. At least I hope so. 
Because now that um, the killers, the supposed killers behind bars, Leslie and Tyler are just focusing on trying to repair the family. So Gus is out and they're having breakfast with him on the boulevard. Um, has anybody else noticed that Gus has like giant hands? His hands are like two of my hands and it's almost an impediment. <laughs> Everything else seems so small in comparison to his giant hands. <laughs> I, I don't know how he uses silverware or anything. You gotta look for it because it is whack, let me tell you. <laughs> but I actually really like the actor. I think he's a good actor. I feel something in his eyes. I like him. Um, so Leslie has warmed up to her father pretty much right off the bat. She wants him to live with her. He's got no place to stay, no job. She wants him to come and stay in her spare bedroom and try to get his life together. Tyler, not so much. Tyler is, mm, he's kind of being a brat. And that's not to say that he doesn't have a right to his feelings, but he is intensely bitter. Um, and I, I, on some level, I feel like I don't entirely care how Tyler feels. I know that's horrible, but sometimes when I'm watching the scenes with Leslie and Tyler, I feel like it's all B storyline. Like, it's all kind of, eh, sideline, not really interested in it. Like, you know, it's not one of the main storylines. It doesn't feel hugely capturing for me. I, I, I don't feel like I know Leslie and Tyler well enough to really care about their relationship with their father. Maybe that's just me. But, so... Congressman ba Wheeler gets out on bail for like a second and he I, like first of all I don't know how you get out on bail for murder <laughs> if you're accused of murder usually you stay and put but apparently he has some powerful friends and so he's out on bail he goes to on the boulevard after Leslie and Tyler and Gus and Neil have already left but uh, Victor is there and <sighs> Wheeler starts getting threatening Real quick, with both Victor and Jack, he actually called Jack while he's on vacation with Phyllis just to taunt him. So rude. Let the guy have a relaxing vacation. And Victor, who's at the same restaurant, is they're exchanging angry sentiments and Victor is you know, realizes that the guy may have gotten away with what he did to Belinda, but Victor is not going to let go what happened at the ranch. So Victor is working with the cops to close in on the ranch bomb shooting <laughs> of, as if a bad a bomb wasn't bad enough. Let's add a shooting to the mix. So he wants to see Wheeler go down for that and indeed, uh, just as Wheeler thinks he's gotten away with something, the cop walks in and arrests him. Um, just as I mean, Victor is gloating just as the cops are hauling Wheeler away, and then Victor picks up the phone uh, with Jack, who's been on the phone and heard this entire thing go down. And gosh, the hatchet between Victor and Jack was buried for what? All of five seconds? Because Victor just yanks that hatchet up out of the ground and says to Jack, yeah, we may have worked together on this, but you still stole my company. Ugh. And the feud lives on. Lily looks awesome this week. I love her curly hair, and she's wearing these high-waist slacks and a V-neck tank top, and it's her I'm-a-businesswoman-now attire, and I love it. <laughs> um, she and Kane have a conversation this week uh, about Kane walking in on Lily and Tyler sharing a hug, and Lily is, you know, defensive. She thinks it's completely innocent. And Kane calls Lily naive. She's offended by this, of course, but I think that's exactly right. Lily has good intentions toward Tyler, but Tyler doesn't. And Lily needs to stop trying to comfort him physically, especially when it's causing problems in her marriage. 
I, I think that being friends with him is one thing, but she's really the only, she's become his only friend and it's putting her marriage in jeopardy. And I, it, it surprises me that Lily seems to be the only one who can't see that Tyler has romantic intentions. I don't know why she doesn't want to see it or acknowledge it, but I genuinely do think it is her being naive. So Tyler is distraught about everything that's gone down with his father, with his mother. It has drudged up a lot of feelings for him, as it should. Leslie's bouncing right back, but Tyler's really taking it to heart. He's sour mostly about his father and the fact that he seems to have transitioned back into their lives so easily, so flawlessly, and now they're sort of pretending to be a happy family when they're not. Tyler still remembers that even if his father didn't kill his mother, he was a horrible father. So he's drinking, drowning his sorrows at the underground, and he's drank so much that Dylan cuts him off. And Tyler is not ready to stop drinking, so he goes back to the office with a big bottle of whiskey or something. Doesn't Tyler have a home to go to? Why is he always getting upset and going back to the office where, oh, guess what? Lily is. (laughs) Of course, she comes in to comfort him once again. And this time, oddly, she pours herself a glass of the liquor that he's drinking. And it's hard liquor. It's not like having a couple of beers or a glass of wine. She pours herself a pretty generous portion of hard liquor. Lily probably weighs like 90 pounds. (laughs) A couple of sips of that is going to put her back on the couch. (laughs) I was surprised by that. So, of course, Tyler's going on about his feelings, and Lily is trying to comfort him, saying, you deserve happiness because you're a good person, and something about hearing that just sets him off, and he just scoops her up, pulls her forward, and kisses her. I wish... (laughs) I I wish that the whole that this whole thing would just go away. I really do. Is anybody feeling it? Uh, please leave me a comment if you are into Tyler and Lily because I feel like it's not working. I I don't feel any passion in return. Like Tyler's tongue is practically hanging rolling down to the floor every minute of the day when he's around Lily, while Lily just seems to kind of stare at him, look at him blankly. Adriana quits her job as Catherine's assistant after Jill accuses her again of stealing. And there was this moment where Jill asks Adriana, well, if you didn't steal anything, then just open up your purse. And instead of doing that, she quits. I wanted to know what was in the purse because Jill thought that Adriana had stolen the box of charitable donations that we all know Chloe and Kevin took. But she also mentioned that there was an heirloom necklace that was missing, too. And Adriana still could have taken that. So I wanted to know. (laughs) But we're never going to get that chance because Adriana is... Out. The actress has filmed her last scenes. Those were her last scenes. There are no plans to recast the role. I'm a little bit disappointed about that because I liked her. I, I mean, I thought that the character was bad news, but the actress was good. She was funky. She had kind of a neat vibe, um, sort of an alternative vibe that we don't really have. All of the women and girls on the show are very blonde and perfect and preppy, and Adriana had a little bit of funk to her, and I thought that was kind of cool. And furthermore, it bothers me that none of these writers, nobody that's ever in charge of YNR, can ever figure out what to do with Noah. Why? Why is that so difficult? They give him, they seem to be headed in an interesting direction with him, and then next thing you know, they're pulled back. And I don't know what they're planning on doing with Noah now. I'm I'm confused, and I feel bad for him, and I hope Noah sticks around, because I like him, and I think his girlfriend, he, there could have been potential there for him and a, and a girlfriend. 
because they were talking about moving in together. Noah's searching for apartments and she starts to butt in on that and say, well, hey, why don't I, why don't we get an apartment together and we'll live together? And, um, you know, then she starts changing her tune. Uh, she, well, she, after that, she met with him before the Jill stealing accusation. And uh, then she comes back and says, well, why don't we get an apartment out of town instead? And when Noah resists that, she splits. She's on the bounce and she ain't coming back. She disappears on him. And Noah is crushed. He goes to Alex because at first he thinks, well, maybe something happened to her. I mean, could it be that someone kidnapped her or whatever? And Alex says, dude, no, sorry, but you just got played. She left you. Sorry. That's how she is. That's who she is. I've been dealing with it my whole life. You're just going to need to deal with it. And Noah starts to come to that realization that he has been played and he's very upset about it. He gave her a second chance and she burned him and that's never a good feeling. And Alex is just used to it. I, I, I really was happy that Alex even kind of circled back and mentioned that Adriana had told Noah that story about him pimping her out. And it it was like such a dramatic thing that she had revealed, and then it was never <laughs> mentioned again. And I was glad that there was just that little piece of resolution, because I've been complaining about that for the last couple weeks. He said, you know, that was a lie. So I was glad um, to hear that. Now, how are you guys feeling about Alex and Abby? Because I, I like Alex. I like Abby. I just think it's the wrong pairing. I don't think they work together. Ale or Abby comes to the police station to bring Alex lunch, and first it seems like they're going to go into the break room and have a nice little lunch together, but then he gets distracted with work, completely forgets about her, and she comes back like, oh, well, sorry, that's okay. I'm just going to have to deal with it, considering I'm the girlfriend of a cop. And then they have this little moment of, oh, we're girlfriend-boyfriend, and sort of acknowledging that they're in a relationship together. Ah, I just don't think that they're right for one another. Plus, we all know that Abby is being recast, which I hate. I hate it because the more that Marcy Ryland is on, the more I love her. I think she brings such a spunk to the, the character and to the show that we just don't see from anyone else. Chloe would be the next obvious candidate for having a, you know, a spunky personality. And we're not seeing a whole lot of that from, from Chloe these days. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to miss Abby. I really am. And I don't know what the recast is going to be like. Um, and I, I hope that Alex sticks around. I mean, get done with the Abby-Alex relationship, but keep Alex because he is hella sexy when he's speaking in Spanish. The results of Catherine's tests are back, and she has a brain tumor that is pushing on a nerve in her brain and causing her to forget things. Yippee! Hooray! Well, that's just great. So what's next, Twynar? And frankly, what's the point? What is the point of giving Catherine a brain tumor? Like, is she going to go through surgery and it's going to be all heartbreaking or whatever? I mean, are we leading up to Jean, Co Jean Cooper leaving the show? I don't get it. I don't see the point. I don't, I'm not feeling it at all. I don't like seeing Catherine being weak and frail. I like seeing my Catherine strong and spicy and wise, and I, I just, I don't like it. And I don't like Chloe and Kevin stealing from her. I cannot even believe that Chloe and Kevin had the nerve to even show their face back at her house after they stole from her. They showed back up to Catherine's house this week acting like they're friends of the family and they let Adriana take the fall. Like, they walk in just as Catherine and Jill are talking about, hey, who took that box of charitable donation? And Kevin's like, yeah, I hate to say it, but that Adriana girl, she gives me a bad feeling. She probably took it. I cannot even believe the gall of those two. And then, uh, Kevin and Chloe go over to Victoria's house for a child's birthday party. And they start scoping the place out. So now they're considering stealing from Victoria too? 
from the father of Chloe's child? And <laughs> they're thinking about, yeah, there's a lot of rich people in this town. Maybe we could start stealing from all of them. That is so insane. I cannot even wrap my brain around this. What is it with YNR people and stealing? Why are they just stealing things? I I don't get it. And it it bothers me that Chloe and Kevin have somehow justified it as this whole Robin Hood steal from the rich, give to the poor, and oh yeah, we happen to be the poor kind of thing. Give me a break. One of you guys made the best comment to me <laughs> this last week saying, hey, if you can't afford the power in your giant mansion house, why don't you sell the giant mansion house and buy something smaller? Derp! I mean, that just makes way too much sense for them to make that decision. If you can't afford the house, then sell the house. And plus, oh my gosh, you guys, <laughs> there's a scene after all this has gone down where Michael calls Kevin over to his house and just gives him a check and says, hey, I know that your house, everybody else in the neighborhood has their power back on. So there's more to this. So here, no questions asked, just here's some money. So they had to stoop to stealing from Catherine, thinking about stealing from other people, and then Michael turns around and gives them the money, no questions asked. Like, what, a day later? If they just would have waited an extra day, they wouldn't have to do that? They didn't even ask anybody for money. They didn't ask Michael, they didn't ask Billy, they didn't ask any of the many people, Esther, Catherine, for the money that they could have had. Instead, they leap right to the most extreme action. I don't think it makes any sense. And if running around and stealing from friends is what turns them on and gets them off in bed, then they have bigger problems than money. <laughs> Although I did think it was funny. <laughs> Chloe and Kevin are like, ooh, this is such a sec. We're getting off on this crime. They go into the back of Crimson Lights, have a sex scene that we never see because we never see sex scenes between Chloe and Kevin because they're not hot together. <laughs> and they come back out to the front. And it, it was funny. Like, Chloe was talking about, like, Chelsea walks up to the counter and has realizes that they just had sex. And <laughs> Chloe said something about, like, the mambo session <laughs> that they just had and her shirt's on backwards. That was actually funny. But Chloe is funny and charming and entertaining. And I wish that we could see that side of her without ugh, seeing her as a thief, too. Well, unless her thieving leads her into more scenes with Genoa City's newest sexy cop, Alex. <laughs> It's official. Carmine is now escalated to a stalker level. It's red stalker alert of the highest guard. It is gross. I hate his creepy face. I hate his creepy smile, his creepy eyes. This guy is pretty much a what on a one-way ticket out of Genoa City. There's no way that anybody can be Blessing over him at this point. Is anybody, please, I want to hear from one person who is, like, feeling Carmine right now, because it is not me. I can't even imagine it. I'm so irritated by how manipulative and pushy he is. Lauren tells him, in no uncertain terms, to leave her alone. And she's not even friendly anymore. She's just like, I'm done with it. I don't want this. Goodbye. And he still texts her, I miss you. Me, me, me. Gross. <sighs> he is so obsessed on her right now. Paul and Christine are at on the boulevard having breakfast, a little mimosa, enjoying the day, talking about their new jobs. And Carmine is creeping at the table next to them, overhearing their conversation, like talking about Lauren and Michael's marriage. And Paul looks over and says, can we help you? <laughs> Paul gets the creep vibe. And then after Carmen has texted her, Lauren comes back to the restaurant and says, you have to stop this. Stop it. You, I mean, she's begging him to leave her alone. And Paul overhears it. Well, he kind of catches her. And she explains it away, saying, oh, well, I was staying at the club, and I spent one too many nights at the bar telling the bartender my 
feelings and so we became friends and I was just coming to thank him for everything that he's done well that doesn't explain the tone in your voice that doesn't explain why you're begging him to stay away and later she goes home she's just kind of trying to get back into the swing of her new life and the doorbell rings oh hell no he did not just show up at her apartment oh <gasps> He acted like, oh, well, I know your husband's not home, so I just thought I'd stop by. And then he starts kissing her out in the open, I, I'm like with the door wide open. And this is the part that really takes me off. She's kissing back. What? This is what I, I don't get this. She cuts off the relationship and then she kisses back. Is she to me, seems like she really wants to fix her marriage, that she is all in with Michael now. She feels regret for what happened to Carmine. So why is she kissing him back? Why is she taking this wildly unnecessary risk? I can't believe that the sex is that amazing. If you've made your decision, then stick with it. So they're kissing with the door open and Paul walks by. I don't know if he's going to catch him or, uh, well, uh, actually, uh, Carmine leaves and Paul and Carmine run into each other in the hall and it raises an eyebrow. I mean, Carmine says, oh, she left her credit card at the at the restaurant, so I just wanted to return it. And uh, Paul's, you know, his eyebrows raise. He realizes that there's more to the story. And I mean, I'm so mad at Lauren. Like, this whole, it's such an unnecessary risk. I think she's being a total idiot right now, and I think she deserves to get caught. Okay, podcast friends. I hope everybody has had a good week and that you've enjoyed the show. I've been sick. <laughs> I had a cold. Uh, I've been pretty much out of it all week. I started as a sore throat and then runny nose and cough and really low energy. So maybe, I, I don't know if you can notice or tell that I'm a little more low energy today. Not quite as big and boisterous as usual, but I'm trying to save my energy, <laughs> save my voice. <laughs> but I tell you, lying there, not feeling good, it, it helped to watch my Y&Rs. <laughs> So I hope you guys enjoyed it this week, and I hope that you leave me a comment. Let me know what you're thinking about the show. You guys help me fill in blanks <laughs> and give me perspective that I would not have just on my own. So it is really cool and helpful to me uh, when you guys feed back. So if you want to do that, there's a couple of different ways. You can call in and leave me a voicemail. The number is area code 309-588-4569. That's within the U.S., so it's country code 1-309-588-4569. Or you can go to my blog at yrchatblog.blogspot.com and you can leave a comment on the posting for this week's podcast. You can also see the video there if you um, want to see me. <laughs> or you can just send me an email to yrchat at live.com. So feel free to contact me. Feel free to share this podcast. If you know other people who are interested in YNR, maybe you belong to a forum or a board or a blog or website or whatever, please feel free to go ahead and um, em- embed a video or put a link to the podcast or the blog or any of that. But Um, You could also go to iTunes and leave a review there. That actually does help a lot. So anything you guys want to do to help me kind of spread the love, I totally appreciate it. Okay, well, I guess we'll be back next week. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. I love you guys, and I'll see you then. All right, bye.